My name is Rich Baker, and this is Living the Dream. We focus our efforts on, on employing and, and finding the best Chicago actors, because we really identify as a Chicago theater company. I speak with the rare few who make their living in the world of arts and entertainment. Okay, so it's called The Motherfucker with the Hat. That's the second play of the season. Big thank you to Phil Ranta, CEO of Comedy Podcast Network. It's the big dream for so many people. Oh, yeah. That you want to honor it and take it seriously. Artwork by Tom Burns. Original music by Diana Lawrence. Websites. Do actors need websites? I was like, you don't have a career. What do you need a website for? <laughs> you know? Email me if you have a question, a complaint, a suggestion. If you just want to say hi, I don't care. Living the dream podcast at gmail.com. So, you know, it's so funny. I'm the one with the problem. I'm rooting for somebody to walk in and just knock it out of the park. Rate the show on iTunes. Give me a review. It helps a lot. If you could become a fan of Facebook.com slash Living the Dream Podcast, I really appreciate it. Think Theater doesn't make money. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> two quick apologies for me. Number one, the consistency of me putting this podcast out has been awful, and I apologize. I will do better from now on. Thanks for sticking with me. Also, secondly, I lost an episode. I hate this. I had a great interview with exotic dancer Violet Starshine. She came in from the suburbs to my house in city to give me this interview, and it was awesome. And through technical problems that I cannot explain, the recording was ruined. So my apologies, but thank you for your patience. And now here is episode number 46, casting director for the Steppenwolf Theater, Erica Daniels. <laughs> Living the dream, my name is Rich. I am here with Erica Daniels. She is the casting director of the Steppenwolf Theater, one of the, arguably one of the most famous theaters in uh, the country, I would say, at least up there. I hope so. Yeah, I, I'm going to even say the world. I'm going to say the world. Right? <laughs> I'm going to go that far. Yeah. I think it's an. I think we have an, an international presence at this point. Um, Absolutely. Especially in, with the, with the uh, you know, production of August Osage County and that going to both London and then also to Australia. We have we actually have a really huge Australian following, which That's is awesome. why, I yeah. When I arrived, they were doing Sideman at like Melbourne, and so I, I and we've taken stuff to the Dublin Theater Festival and the Galway Theater Festival. So I think we do very well. English speaking countries, both in you know Europe and in Australia. That's all. Awesome. I mean, yeah, that's huge. it's yeah. Like when I think about it, I I actually can honestly joke and say you know international but then i realized oh no we actually do have that presence which is really fantastic and you're you're like the gatekeeper of this huge place i well i try not to think of myself that way um but i guess i guess in a way you know if an actor is going to end up on our stage somehow uh i either need to, to bring them in myself or at least see them in a show and say to somebody else, oh, that's a great actor. We should use them, you know, and acknowledge, yes, somebody else presented them to me. But yeah, um, I then need to present them to, you know, the team here, whether it's a director who's working on a specific project or my artistic director. But I really try not to. I joke about the term of the gatekeeper and sort of really? that American Idol judge type of thing. But it's uh, uh, I think I try really hard to make every actor feel very welcome in the room and uh I feel like even if they have a bad audition, the the gate is not going to be permanently closed because I think that's probably every actor's fear is oh absolutely you know one bad audition and and also I think you know after I've been here now almost twelve years and uh, I realize how important this institution is to so many people who come to Chicago to act or got into the business and and want to act this particular place and working with these artists it's a dream it's a really it's the big dream for so many people oh yeah that you want to honor it and take it seriously and you know I grew up in New Jersey so I didn't really know Steppenwolf when I was 
pursuing this stuff. I really knew Broadway and New York theater. And having been out here for so long, you realize this is really the place that so many people make as their their bucket list, you know, so to speak. <laughs> like if I can work at Steppenwolf, and that's you know, I never I'd never try to lose sight of that. Yeah. So let's let's go back. You started out in this business as uh, an actress, correct? Well, I went. I trained at Northwestern in acting in their theater department. There, I guess it was the Department of Performance Studies, technically. And I, uh, I did think I was going to go into performing and being an actor. Um, and uh, shortly after graduating and doing, you know, my senior showcase, so to speak, uh, I broke my foot. So I was uh, sort of, you know, on on uh, home <laughs> on the couch, oh, no. wondering, you know, what the heck I was going to do all summer. Yeah. And I was, you know, I think I was 21 and I just had no clue how to really navigate this business. And I think back then I thought if you that I would be the only person on my couch all summer. You know, I didn't realize that, you know, 90% of actors, once they graduate from school, have no clue what to do, and they're all sitting on their couches. Back then, I just assumed I'd be the only person on my couch. So I, I'd I'm, say it's I'm, generous to say there are 10% who know what they're <laughs> doing. That's true. I think I am being generous. I try to be generous. <laughs> but um, I really just immediately got an internship. I just thought, what am I going to do all summer? You know, I better, I better get in the business and start learning things ASAP, or I'll be way behind yeah. everybody else. And so I got an internship downtown. It was what was then called Jane Brody Casting. And went in, you know, every day for, you know, two months and really just tried to learn everything about the business and about actors. And, you know, she had a business that worked on, you know, television and film, commercials, voiceovers, print, as well as theater. And uh, and about two months into that, I, I really realized pretty quickly how comfortable I was on the business side of it much more so than I had ever been really on stage myself I just knew something just felt right and I felt like I could really be of use and and support actors in a way that I would make a difference and um and part of my personality was much just more geared towards knowing where I was going every morning and having an office job I just knew that that was much more comfort for me um, so I did that for uh, the internship, and then she offered me a, a job, you know, an assistantship. And I did that for a few more months until, like, the holidays. And then gradually, um, you know, she, I the assistantship was up. You know, I sh- there was no more money to pay that, that additional staffer that she needed at the time before the holidays because yeah. holidays things just slow down. And so I started looking for just jobs in the business and figuring, you know, whether it was casting or being a talent agent or or what have you, and I and I found um, uh, a position with uh, Shirley Hamilton Incorporated, which was a talent agency, still is a talent agency here. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, you know, became an, an agent there and really worked there for a couple of years, learning you know that, that must side have been of the business. Helpful, like work now, no having a relationship with a casting agent and then being a talent agent, right? Well, I think for me, uh, what was help? What was first was. The best thing was that after, you know, I knew I had to start looking for a job, I was able to just meet everybody I'd been talking to on the phone for, you know, it put me in that position of having to network, but having to network with people I already had at least a great phone relationship with. So some people that knew who I was, knew my personality by the phone, knew my, my handling of work from, you know, in terms of in relationship to the agency, you know, the agents at Shirley's knew I was responsible, that I'd been there for five months, that I had good taste, that I answered their calls right away and could multitask. So they they knew some of my workmanship in advance. And then it was just having some FaceTime. And so it was, 
it made what I had to do in terms of getting a job uh, a little bit safer and easier for me. But it also, I think, gave them the security of knowing she's been around. She knows the talent in the town. She knows who might be interesting for us to meet. Uh, she's already knows what projects different places are working on. So it wasn't, wasn't, I wasn't a total newbie. And it was just sort of crossing from one side. You know, they're all on the same sort of side of the table, but they do different things. Yeah. So were you auditioning at all? Like while you were doing, were you, did you still have the no, acting bug at I, all? I have, still have, I still have all of my headshots from like 1991 in a box in my house. <laughs> Nothing's ever been sent out. Nothing ever has been sent out. I think I knew really, I, I think, you know, you're, I mean, not to reduce it to this, but, you know, I was a Caucasian woman, you know, 21 years old. And it's, you get out into the real world and you realize how many gazillions there are of you. Yeah. And uh, you see the numbers and you see the reality and you you realize what everybody has to do every day in that world. And I realized it just wasn't, it wasn't comfortable for me. It wasn't what I wanted to do with my life or my days. And I knew really quickly that I was great at what I like to call matchmaking and finding either work for particular people and creating that relationship or I was great at reading a play and thinking about actors for that. Um, I just knew really, really quickly within the first couple months that I was probably much more suited to being on the business side of this than than being a performer myself. Um, and when people today say, you know, do you ever think, and I was also, you know, one of those women back then that, pro- that people said, you know, you're going to age into your look and you're not going to work till you're like 40. And then you graduate from college and you realize, well, there are 40-year-olds and they are working. And I can't wait 20 years before I work. I mean, I have to do something. So, I w- you know, that was also a, a struggle for me, wrapping my brain around what do you do until you age into your type. Um, <laughs> right. Because I was the person in college that played like the aunt or the grandmother or the mother. I never really played the ingenue and I didn't have a sense of who the, that was on me. Um, and so it was, it was a complicated thing. So yeah, I never really, really went out and pursued it. And when people ask me today, like, do you ever have a desire? I always joke and say, well, look, if, you know, I was sitting in a restaurant and, you know, some giant director came up to me and said, you know, oh my gosh, you're perfect for my, my movie or my play and you must do it. Of course I'd say yes. Do I want to do any of the real work that is required to be a working actor? No. Fair. I have no desire to like learn monologues, do auditions, none of it. If someone hands you a lottery ticket, you'll take the money. I will take the money. But you're not going to buy one. No. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I'm like, it takes a lot of work and a lot of um, a really strong skin to do what actors do. And I think, I, I think I'm good at my job in in a key way of making actors really calm in the room and feel and feel good about themselves because I have been on that side and I understand that psychology, but I just chose not to do it for myself. Fair. Could you kind of talk me through the process of, uh, I'm not exactly sure when your job starts. So when a play is selected, do you then read the play and and send out casting or do you do it before the play is selected do you talk to a director right well my job here at steppenwolf has shifted over the years so right now i'm I'm technically the associate artistic director whose key function is casting which is different than a lot of how other theaters are set up Uh but what it what it does mean is my uh 
my conversation entry point is earlier than probably some casting directors because I'm very much involved working with our artistic director, Martha Levy, and our ensemble on you know, the plays that they're thinking about for the season and why they're interested in certain things and which other ensemble members may be interested in certain roles and who, which directors from the ensemble may be interested in picking which projects for which ensemble members. So a lot of my my entry points come very early in the conversation. Okay. And we read a lot of plays and think about, you know, the casts and who in the ensemble might be right. Because we're an ensemble-driven theater, a lot of the work we're generating, especially on our subscription season, is is for the ensemble, for them to act, you know, plays they've written, plays they're interested in directing, plays they're interested in working with other, you know, ensemble members with and for. So I'm involved early on in a lot of those conversations. And then, you know, depending on who the director is, uh, myself, the director, Martha, we are all in conversation about which ensemble members we may want to, you know, go to with offers for what roles. Uh-huh. And then once we get through the, sort of that process, we, um, you know, we create and have dialogues about, you know, actors in Chicago or actors outside of Chicago that we're interested in talking about. Sometimes we're going, you know, to directly with offers to people. Sometimes we're auditioning people. It really depends on the director the project and sort of our timeline. So my my work technically starts as soon as that play is picked. I start, you know, brainstorming and generating lists and reaching out to the directors and getting a feel for their timeline over the year when they might be available for auditions, when they are going to be, you know, thinking about the play more fully. Um, do they want to have a reading of the play and just sort of see who's in the city that we're thinking about if they're from out of town? So, um, so yeah, so my work starts, you know, it starts about at that point after we've picked the play and then it carries through really the audition process, casting understudies for the play until really the first day when I know like actors have signed their contracts and everything's, you know, smooth sailing, which even then is not necessarily the case because sometimes people get sick, people drop out because of family situations and you're, you know, you're, so you're scrambling. So, uh, you know, I always joke that a play is never cast until it's potentially recast, <laughs> um, which, you know, I even get tired of saying because then I'm like, oh, gosh. But um, but the converse, we're, I mean, we're always, we always have our foot in several seasons here. Like right now, you know, we just finished the 11-12 season with Three Sisters. We are starting previews Thursday with our 12-13 season. We're thinking about our 13-14 season really heavily and we're even getting plays in that might be ready for the 14, 15 season that are commissions that won't be ready until then. So you're always thinking about no less than two up to four you know, seasons at wow. once. And that's just on the subscription stage. I mean, I'm also working on our Steppenwolf for Young Adults pro- program, which you know has two plays of its own, which we're workshopping and doing. I'm working on our garage programming because we have two two reps that we're very involved, hands-on in the casting of. You know, we do our um, our next up repertory. So I'm kicking into working with these Northwestern MFA students right now. On They direct their third-year thesis projects in our garage space with professional actors. Wow. So I'm really mentoring them. And I just, I was on the phone just now with, you know, one of them really trying to talk about some of the casting challenges of her play. And then we have our first look repertory, which is our three-play 
three new plays and developmental productions, but they're all new works that have never had full productions before. So I'm always working on potentially, you know, two subscription shows, an SYA show, a couple of first look shows, and then potentially readings, workshops. I mean, we're always getting things in that we, we either the artistic office wants to hear out loud or an ensemble member is interested in hearing out loud. So there's, you know, there's constantly things to be cast, you know, here. And as soon as you, you know, take a pause on one of those and it's potentially the summer and you're working on the school at Steppenwolf or, you know, so there's always this revolving, you know, rotation of, of work that, that needs attention. Yeah. When you need to cast a part or multiple parts, um, is the first thing uh, in general, and I'm sure it changes with little variance, but is it... All right, send out, you know, some kind of thing to the equity like office. Like a breakdown? Yeah. You know what, I don't, I don't usually send anything to the equity office. I send it, um, depending on the play or the role, I might start with some of the agents in town or the, you know, or elsewhere if I'm looking outside of the city of Chicago. But usually the starting point would be sending um, a breakdown to the agents, generating my own list in my head. Because at this point, this many years in, I do know primarily who I'm hoping to see for certain roles, and then I'm always looking to be introduced to new actors. Yeah. So depending on uh, depending on the, the type of play it is, I may do what I like to call pre-reads, which means the director is not in the room. It's just me in the room meeting the actors, and then I'm going to bring in some new actors along with the existing actors I knew would be right for the role for the director. So it's sort of, and then we'll do a callback potentially. So there's usually like a little chain but uh, for my purposes, I tend to send it to the agents in town mm. or pick the brains of, you know, other director friends of mine. If I get stuck on a role, I, I totally will email Bob Mason at Chicago Shakespeare or Adam Bill Corrette, The Goodman. I mean, we really all work really well together. So if one of us gets stumped on a role, we really reach out to the others and say, you know, did you see anyone that in the last month that might be right for this? So you try to be in really good communication with all of those folks so that they're helping you. Yeah. Why would, uh, you mentioned a couple times that sometimes you look outside of the city of Chicago. Is there a particular reason why you'd go out? Is it because the, the role, you can't find someone here? Yeah, I mean, I don't go out of town on anything except for really our subscription series. So anything that's done in the garage or for Steppenwolf for Young Adults, we really do, uh, we, we maintain the Chicago actor to the forefront, you know, really, really making sure we find that. Once in a while, though, you know, with the, with the bigger shows, your budgets are a little bigger, so you can financially do it if it's necessary. And it's rare that it's really more than one person ever per season who's outside of your ensemble. My, some of my ensemble members just live out of town, so yeah. I, I budget accordingly for them. But if I'm casting a play which is, um, you know, it's tricky casting. I mean, I'm doing a, a Stephen Adley Garrigus play right now, oh. whose name I probably can't say on the air because I don't know where this airs. I should have asked you that because it's got <laughs> it's, it's got, it's got the f bomb in the title. Oh, it's on the internet. You can say. Oh, anything. okay. So it's called the motherfucker with the hat. That's the second play of the season. I like it. Um, I like it too. It's a great play, but it's a very ethnically specific show. It requires real um, street. Uh, the characters are really from the street, from the neighborhood in New York. They really are specific. It takes a, a very uh, skilled actor to get the language off the page, but make it sound street. <laughs> so we don't necessarily have it in the Midwest, I mean, is what I'm finding. And so 
Uh, I found two of the the characters here, but I have a feeling three of them will come from New York or people who live in LA who used to be from New York. So, you know, when I know that that's what I'm working on in advance, I, you know, I I think, okay, I might be going to New York or LA for this. Um, And that's really the only play this year that I'm aware of that on, other than the Terrell McCraney play, which is the fourth play of the season, Head of Passes, mostly because um, I went through the brother-sister plays with Terrell and Tina, and that's the same artistic team working on this. So I know who we saw a couple years ago in Chicago and what the limitations were with some of the categories of casting versus when we ended up going to New York or L.A., you know, for a couple of actors that they just really love working with together on their material. So sometimes you just, you know that there's a director who you're working with who has an affinity towards specific actors also, and you want to honor that also. Yeah. So it's 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 sometimes just based on that. But we really, as a as a theater, try to rein in and focus our efforts on, on employing and, and finding the best Chicago actors because we really identify as a Chicago theater company. Awesome. On... Any given week, how many uh, days or, or I guess how many things do you go and watch like plays or whatever? Probably see depending on the week and what I've been like up to that week. Like this past weekend, I taught all weekend in Muncie. So for me, it was uh, that was a long, a long weekend of working, even though it was non-Steppenwolf related. So I only have one show. No, I'm totally lying. I actually have two shows even this week on the docket, something tomorrow (laughs) and something on Saturday. So I guess it is usually, it's usually two shows a week. Definitely. I try to, I try to get in once in a while. It's one or three, you know, just depending this time of year, it's hard to keep up with everything because there's so much that launches all at once. Um, And I try to be picky and choosy based on what we need to have covered here. Um, luckily, I work with a great team of people, some of whom really cover a lot of the smaller storefront stuff for our garage programming. My associate, I, I try to get him to see something every week so that he's covering stuff so that every you know week we re-meet and talk about the actors we've seen that weekend that we might not know. Yeah. Do you, nowadays, uh, which I'm sure has changed from when you started, but like there's so much content online that people are putting up. Does that influence you at all? People's web videos or stuff like no, that? No, I tend not to watch anything. <laughs> I tend not to watch any of that. Like I made a joke this past week. Somebody asked me in the class I was teaching about webs, web websites. Do actors need web? I was like, you don't have a career. What do you need a website for? <laughs> you know, I was like, what are you talking about a website? Um, I mean, I think... For me, it's what's happening in the room at the audition some, and then what's happening when I see shows. That's really the important thing. I don't even really pay attention after that first audition of like what's on their resume, you know, from what school they went to. I mean, it might get you in the door, but it does, doesn't keep you in the door is what I try to say to people. It's it's a lot more other things I'm looking at um, than, than just where did you get your training and what was it. Yeah, uh, That might get you, you know, the first initial meeting with me, but it's it's it would be rare that just because you got your MFA from Yale I would keep bringing you in if you couldn't act you know it's like there's you know I also know you know I'm looking for particular things per play it doesn't mean that if you're not right for a role I won't bring you back in for a different role because I really do think roles sit differently on you as a person in different ways and I really try to be very open to that but um but I also know aesthetically what is going to work or totally not going to work. Uh-huh. And it doesn't, at this point, take me very long 
to know that. I mean, yeah. people always are like, well, how long does it take? You know, and they'll be like two minutes and I'll be like 20 seconds, you know, and it's like, you don't want to be rude, but you're like, it's an obvious you know thing. Job. And it's, yeah, it's an obvious thing when like, when you're also specifically looking for like the role in the play, if it's going to it all sit correctly on somebody, you just know that after a certain point, like that's right, that's not right, that's right. And it's not about being good or bad. It's just what, sa- it's almost what sounds right coming out of somebody's mouth. Yeah. You know, and you just go, oh, even if you're not memorized, that actually sound like I had just did auditions for uh, this, this motherfucker role, <laughs> the, the actual role of that. And, uh, I saw a bunch of different guys and all but one was memorized, but the one that was unmemorized, actually it sat the most natural on. So the least probably prepared guy is the one that I was like, that'll work. That will work. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's <laughs> interesting that you're, you know, I don't even know if he's available. That's the other funny thing. Then you go through all this process and you're like, oh God, you're the only one I found and you might not be available. So yeah. it's, it's a very tricky, it's sometimes a very tricky thing because you oh, you want to applaud everybody's hard work and everybody loves the play. And then you're like, yeah, but doesn't sound right on you i don't know why i can't you know people often are looking for feedback and you're like it just is it just isn't it's nothing yeah, concrete we're looking for a screwdriver and you're a hammer yeah and you know and you know that as a actor that's so hard to re- hear and receive and understand and you go you sometimes there's no real way to explain this other than to say this is an incredibly subjective business and that's just the way it is. It's kind of yeah. like uh, going on a date with someone and saying, "Oh, we I don't... just don't feel it." Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you. No, it's not you. It's me. <laughs> it is, but it is. It's so often just that it just doesn't sit right. Yeah, and it's not. And I think people sometimes really want those answers, and it's it, it, there's it wouldn't be even helpful to have the answer because there really isn't an answer. And it's so funny because like. I have had enough people in my time ask for the feedback. And you go, I don't have anything. I could make something. And then sometimes the agents are like, give me anything. I'm like, okay, I'm making this up. I'm literally making this up to Aww. give you something to say to your actor yeah. so that it can be somewhat helpful. But it's it's not a concrete. Because you performed X in such a way. It yeah, it's not math. It's not. Is part of your job... Uh, being able to call someone and say, you know, we'd like to offer you this role. Is that, do you do yeah, that? Yeah, I do do that. I, um, if they have an agent, I sometimes call the agent and then just have to get the, you know, how did they, were they happy through the agent? This town has become more uh, agent centric than when I even started. And by that, I mean, you know, the agent's, are really putting their actors out for theater and I'm talking to the agents more about the theater auditions. So when I uh, book somebody, I often have to go through the agent if they have the agent, you know, before I, I go directly to them. But uh, I usually get the the thank you or the email after the fact, no matter what, from the actor if it's, you know, re- if they're really truly excited about something. So yeah. I still get those moments of that is being the best. That's truly still the best part of the job. Yeah, well, it, is anyone not super thankful for it? I mean, this is stuff. No, most of the time. I mean, I mean, you know, people still drop out of plays or say no to plays if they're, you know, I, I sure. you know, we're working with some heavy level actors at certain points. But when it's an actor who's, you know, making their big break here or it's a role they really want or it's a different type of role than other people have cast them in before, then you get some really fantastic responses. Oh, I bet. What are some of the things that actors do that annoy you? <laughs> I think, you know, it's 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 the social stuff or the interpersonal stuff that I think actors do in an odd way that gets in their way more than just they, you know, didn't 
memorize the role. I mean, that stuff doesn't bother me when an actor walks in and they've got the script in their hand or they haven't had enough time with the script. It's it's when they, you know, get too close in the space, haven't, you know, been polite to the reader. It's all of the stuff that you think may not matter so much that actually matters a great deal because I'm putting together an ensemble each time I put together a, a cast. Yeah. And I want to make sure that everybody's going to, I joke and say, play nicely in the sandbox together um, and, you know, share their toys. But it's it's really true. I, I need people that will, uh, especially because oftentimes I'm not just casting the leads. I'm casting a lot of, you know, ensemble roles or periphery roles. I can't have somebody that's going to take up all the, all the air in the room. And so sometimes you get a feel that when somebody comes in, like, wow, they are going to demand a lot of attention and need a lot of work. And we have three and a half weeks to put a show up. We don't have this huge rehearsal time. So you want people that are going to come in and really do a great job and be totally focused and take what they they need and give what they can and and it's and be in a real conversation with the director and the other cast members and you're also really looking at that dynamic you know if the director is giving the actor an adjustment are they are they able to hear what the director has said and take it do they get defensive you know, you're looking at a lot of that stuff in the room as opposed to, well, you did this, so therefore I can't cast you. It's, it's, there's so many more things that I'm looking at that I want to happen, you know, than, than, oh, that happened, so therefore I can't cast you. I think, you know, it's like I always joke when people ask how often should they send in their headshot, and I say, you know when you've crossed the line and it's sort of stalker-like as opposed to, I mean, we as human beings actually know when we've crossed any sort of interpersonal, unless we really are on like the spectrum somewhere, we oftentimes know what's appropriate behavior. And when nerves kick in, sometimes that's when we, you know, go into a direction of, okay, that was a less than ideal moment on my, on my part. Yeah. But um, I think we often know like how to behave and we just nerves kick in. And I try to be really forgiving of that. Yeah. And, and, get and sort of insert myself and make it stop so that the behavior is like okay you're actually normally not like this so i know you're really intimidated that tracy lutz is reading opposite you okay let's just you know breathe pause you know you try to get in there when you know and also it's my job to if the disastrous audition happens and it's a and it's rare because i really like the actor and i'm thinking wow i really think this actor is right for the role and that was a train wreck it's my job then when they walk out to lean into the director and say i don't know what's going on that was a bit of a train wreck i acknowledge but that would have been my top choices for this role can we bring them back let me give them some notes you know let's let's just do a do over so i think you know, it's it's my job to try to create context for directors, and and while I want them to have as much agency in the room as possible, I want to give them as much information as I have, having done this for so long in this city and knowing the actors so well, so that they have a full scope of information to help them make decisions. That's huge. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's really important when actors know that actually we're on your side. We would be sitting on the opposite side of the table. But I always joke that I'm the one with the problem. I have a role I need to cast. And it doesn't it doesn't actually, you know, do well by me if I bring in 25 people and the director's not happy. So, you know, it's so funny. I'm the one with the problem. I'm rooting for somebody to walk in and just knock it out of the park. 
on day one because otherwise who I have assumed are my top choices, then I've got to go to like the next group. And, you know, so it's not, I don't want that to happen either. So I think it's really important for actors to realize, wow, everybody's actually on the same team and we're all rooting for you on that side of the table. Even if it doesn't, even if the dynamic of the room isn't set up that way, that's truly what's happening. Totally. Uh, 15 year old kid says, Eric, I want to do what you do. I want to be a casting director. What do you tell him? Gosh. Um, I, I, you know what? At fifteen, it's it's hard to get somebody really to give them the the real good advice. I'd say at like eighteen, okay. once they're in college, um, it's it's getting an internship. I mean, it's it's really finding a place that you can do a summer internship, an after school internship, because you want to start seeing plays. You want to start talking about actors in a in a more sophisticated way than you probably have been. You want to just know you can sit and be on this side of the table and not get jealous. You know, oftentimes it's the entry point of a casting director was probably somebody who was an actor. Yeah. And actually probably the entry point of anyone in the theater, they started as an actor or a director or a set designer. You know, there's very few other entry points that young people know. But uh, it does take a, I mean, I once had an intern who really had a hard time because she she wanted to audition for certain things she thought she was really right for. And I was like, well, then you, you're not going to be able to be a casting director. Like, you actually, like, if that's how hard it is for you. And she knew she wasn't going to viable as the actor, but she still hadn't really crossed over and, and gotten okay with, you're not, I'm not the best actor, and I can do casting. Like, she hadn't made that switch that it was easy for her. With me, it's never an issue. I don't act. There aren't very few roles that I'm dying to play. <laughs> um, but she really had a hard time with it. And so I think it's a, it's a, it's like understudying. It takes a special person to sit back and go, you know, I'm going to cover these two roles and I may never go on. That's a lot harder than actually getting the direction and doing the one role that you're being cast as. There's a lot less validation in that. And so sometimes as a casting person, you're really trying to make this project better but you're actually not you know it's not about you and so as a young person I think that's a really hard hard lesson and that's the big thing watching a lot of auditions and seeing what can you sit through them and are you enjoying it and a lot of my job is creative but a lot of it's very redundant and administrative and paperwork and I go to a lot of meetings and photocopy a lot and so (laughs) you know it's not you know it's not all like this like Hollywood life and so you want people to see the reality of that and I think you really can in in a three-month internship sort of see see the scope of that yeah in a full way but I think you it would also never dawn on me to be honest to hire a 15 year old I think a college student somebody in college that I felt like I could get you know good recommendations on they had some writing skills I could put them on the phone with some of the agents and some of the actors I mean that would it's probably more in that that age range that somebody can really articulate that's what i'd like to do yeah uh if in a weird hypothetical world um theater didn't make money movies like nothing theater doesn't make money (laughs) fair enough Uh, (laughs) i concur with that i'm like like, let's say that first (laughs) uh if nothing in the arts or entertainment made any money uh what civilian job do you think you could do oh I actually think I would be very skilled at either matchmaking or executive search. I think they're exactly the same job set. Perfect. <laughs> I actually do. Whether I would want, th- those would not be my dream jobs, but those would be jobs that I feel like I could pitch myself for 
that require a lot of the same puzzle piecing and matchmaking skills I do as a casting director. Excellent. Yes. What I would probably do is just like go to a club med, you know, something completely <laughs> ridiculous, you know, just to take a break for at least a year. There you go. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Uh, I, there's so many nuances to your career that we could talk forever, but, uh, we're running out of time. So, uh, what should we plug? Obviously come see shows at Steppenwolf. Yes. I mean, I th- I actually think our season this year is pretty fantastic. So we, we start tomorrow night, uh, with yeah with good people which is a david Lindsay a bear play k todd freeman is directing and i think marianne mayberry who's an ensemble member here is is truly doing the work of her career and uh, wow. i just think it's she's really doing some fantastic work k todd's directing and they're it's just it's great it takes place in you know boston and it's a, a very working class sort of story and it's you know it's got a little bit of the have and the have nots and somebody that got out of the neighborhood versus the people that have stayed in the neighborhood and what that what that means in terms of entitlement and what you get the motherfucker with the hat is truly a fantastic ride of a play there's just no other way to say it it's just so much fun um and we're doing the book thief uh this fall for our steppenwolf for young adults program which is just a beautiful play um, and it's the one book one Chicago right now. So I think a lot nice. of people should come with their families. Um, and I don't know. I'm excited to see Sweet Bird of Youth at the Goodman. And I'm excited about a little, I think, what is it? Um, Sunday in the Park with George at Chicago Shakes. I just think there's so much, there's always so much in the fall to yeah. really dig into and see. So I'm always excited about that. That's great. And you teach uh, workshops sometimes in Chicago. I do. I'm teaching in a couple weeks actually a one day it's like a trifecta we call it it's uh adam belcourt and bob mason from good men in chicago shakes myself are doing like monologue work up in will met at the actors training center and then adam and i are teaching in december downtown at the acting studio chicago for a couple of days so it's a lot of monologue workshops and q a and just getting educated about the business nice. and then i teach fall semester at ball state so i go back and forth there a few times and work with their students same sort of thing very cool. Uh, how would people find out like where, like if they want to take your workshop in the future, where is their website they go to? You, or? I mean, usually it's the the school's websites. Those, the, the three places I usually teach are Acting Studio Chicago, the Actors Training Center in Wilmette and Piven. Those are the three places that Excellent. I teach. So I guess you would have to look at their websites. So if you want to take a class from Erica, go to those and, and figure it out. There you go. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Erica Daniels, Living the Dream. <laughs> <laughs> Huge thank you to Phil Ranton, the Comedy Podcast Network. Original artwork by Tom Burns. Original music by Diana Lawrence. The email's livingthedreampodcast at gmail.com. Fan page is facebook.com slash livingthedreampodcast. Please take a minute to rate the show on iTunes. Leave a comment. It helps me out a lot. Gets awareness out about the show. Next week, I talk to longtime professional voice actor Darren Stevens. My name is Rich Baker, and this is Living the Dream.